0: On today's Contract 2020 TA Education, my partner, Amy Robinson, will be interviewing me about Section 2, Compensation.
1: So, Kurt, we're going to talk about compensation. I think one of the biggest changes here is the move. Can you explain that?
0: Well, it was Section 4 in our current contract. We moved it to number 2. Realistically, it's second most important, only behind scope for our pilots.
1: And can you give us some information of what changed in the first subsections?
0: Well, the first few, pilot longevity, basis of pay, schedule overfly, they're really just restating current book, current practice. There's no change to intent or meaning. We just basically cleaned up the whole sections with the only exception being in the overfly over schedule. Currently, the company gets the first four minutes of overfly for free. We don't get any extra pay until the fifth minute and then it goes up from there. That has been eliminated in contract 2020, so the overfly pay starts on the first minute.
1: All right, so let's talk about equipment longevity pay. I think that's the thing that's most important to our pilots.
0: Sure, that's it, right? That's the pay rates. We've put out a lot of calm already about that. The pay rates are available on the SWAPA website. I'm not going to read the tables to you right here, but the headline here is that at the end of this contract, the 12-year captain TFP rate is going to be 50% higher than it is today. The table in the language specifies that the snap-up on January 1st of 2024 is 29.15. We get 4% raises for the next three years. And then in January of 2028, we have another raise of 3.25%. That raise is beyond any of the other airline raises. So at that point, barring any other changes to their contracts, we will maintain our lead throughout this cycle by at least 1% for our captains even more for our FOs when it comes to 737 900 rates and then we'll get that extra pay raise in 2028.
1: Talk about the actual amendable dates cuz I think that's also important to our pilots.
0: Yeah. So this contract became amendable January of 2020 and this will take us through December 31st of 2028. It will be a 5-year deal on paper, but what we do have is an 18-month early opener. So effectively what's happening is the raise that happens in January of 2028 would be the equivalent of our post-amendable raise in 2020. And then we had a six-month early opener there. Here we have the raise a year prior, but we opened a year and a half early. So you're six months early for a reopener. So it's effectively the same. And then what we have on top of that is a post-amendable bonus.
1: So what you're saying is that there's essentially a penalty for going past the amendable date.
0: I think what the interest is, how do we prevent this from happening again, where we went four years past amendable and and nobody's had any raises for four years, three years now. And we tried, we proposed COLA raises, we proposed tying it to the CPI, tying it to the social security raise rates. And the mediators honestly said, that just isn't done. The contract becomes amendable at a certain point. And from that point forward, uh, you need to renegotiate. What we managed to do was do what we did in 16- effectively getting the post-amendable raise through a longer optional reopener. All that that's going to do for the company is it's just going to keep us at Swappa from putting the banner at the top of the emails that say we've been open for a thousand days post-amendable. It's just going to take us 365 days before we can put that banner up there. That's the only difference. But the timeline, the flow will work the same as it has currently. The advantage that we're going to have is twofold. Number one, it's not going to be a rewrite. And 2028 or whenever we go back to the table, it's going to be modifying a more traditional negotiation. So that's going to save time. And number two, uh, we talked about this with the board. I think our organization SWAPA as a whole has learned our lesson from the last two times that we filed for mediation. I think that we're more inclined to ask for mediation earlier in the process. I would be surprised if we go out for two or three years before we ask for mediation next time.
1: What are the post-amendable date payments?
0: Well, I told you that we tried to get the COLA raises or or some form of post-amendable raises, and we didn't. But what we were able to get was basically a little bit of a prepayment of any ratification bonus in the future. So at the end of the year, after we've been one year post-amendable, they will give all pilots a 2.5% bonus of pay. Think of it as a prepayment of any ratification bonus going forward.
1: So, in terms of the ratification bonus, what was the total there?
0: So, the total ballpark number is one point two five billion dollars.
1: So, give us an overview of pay rates for both seats.
0: Well, we start with our raise in twenty twenty four. We mentioned it was twenty nine point one five percent raise snap up going in twenty twenty four. From there, we match the industry exactly percentage wise for the first three years. That snap up puts us one percent above Delta. 737, 900 rates, which are also the same as the American rates, which are also the same as the United rates. Obviously, we don't fly 900s. That's about a half a percent higher than their 800 rates. So we're effectively a percent and a half above for the captain pay. On the FO side, it's a little different. And the reason being, we've historically underpaid as a percentage of captain pay our FOs. We made that adjustment so that we're actually above industry average across the board, or actually all the rest of the industry on the FO rates. So our FOs will be effectively getting paid higher than Delta 75 rates across the entire time, except for there's about 400 of our pilots that are 12-year FOs. They are, I think, 40 or 45 cents below Delta 75 rates. So we can't say 100%, but it's pretty darn close.
1: We hear a lot about the conversion factor. Can you address that just a little bit?
0: Just real quick. I don't want to spend any time on it because it is just an artificial number. It's just used for comparison between contracts. We base all of our math here on a 1.149 conversion factor. I will say that there's an argument to be made that it's a little higher than that. So uh, I think we're going to put a blog out on that at another time. So we'll try and get that out to you. But bottom line is this is probably worst case scenario think that any comparisons would probably favor us even a little more.
1: What's the change to first-year pay?
0: Currently, the pilots who are on first-year pay have to get above their line guarantee before they start earning second-year rates. We changed that back to the way it used to be a long time ago. Basically, any pay that a first-year pilot picks up will be at second-year rates, so that helps him to get into the market a little sooner. I know that that shifts the bidding power a a little bit, but what that does, we think there's going to be a lot more open time, certainly more rigged open time opportunities, and it won't be that much of an impact, not to mention the change in rates that some of our other FO rates are going to have. It mitigates a lot of that.
1: Let's talk about schedule line guarantees. What Are there changes there?
0: The only change is February. On the 28 or 29 day month, it's an 85 TFP line guarantee today. In contract 2020, that drops to 84 for all pilots. The trade we made for that is all reserve lines for all months, the max number of uh, duty periods goes from 16 today down to a maximum of 15.
1: Okay. So I know the rigs have changed a bit just due to terms and things like that. Can you explain those a little bit?
0: So rigs are an important part of our pay component and we use them today, but a lot of our flying isn't fully rigged. So to begin with in contract 2020, all open time will be fully rigged. I think that's a key win for us. When we talk about rigs, there's two kinds of rigs. There are the duty period rigs, which are DHR and DPM duty period, minimum that pays five or DHR your duty hour ratio. And that's 0.74 per hour. And then we have trip rigs, and we have two of those. We have ADG, which is your average daily guarantee that pays six and a half or time away from base TAFB, which pays one for three. Uh, hours. When we talk about pay multiples and we get to that shortly, remember that that's on the duty period rig. And we've talked about that on other podcasts. I'm not going to get too in the weeds on that, but remember that's on DHR and DPM. So the only other thing I'd say about the rigs is in this contract, we haven't changed any of them from what they are today. So DPM, DHR, ADG, and time away from base all remain the same. I know that there's some angst about not getting a higher DHR. And uh, that'll be something that we can talk about in podcast with the SRC or blog or something.
1: So then that leads into the real changes, which is pay multiples. So can you give us an overview of that?
0: Sure. Pay multiples. The thing we're trying to fix is not getting paid for doing more work today. A premium trip or a JA premium pays only on the legs, not on the rigs. So today, if you're on a premium trip for four TFP, uh, if you Fourth of legs, that's six TFP premium, 50% more. The problem is ADG kicks in, you get paid six five, you would have gotten six five straight. So you actually make no extra money, even though it's premium. In contract 2020, the premium, the pay multiple, the double time, or in some cases, even triple time, will pay not just on the leg pay, but also on the daily rig, DHR or DPM. So typically, the minimum DPM is going to pay. So that's five. For straight, 7.5 for premium. The minimum for a JA trip would be 10 a day. And then triple time would be 15 minimum.
1: Then let's talk about overrides.
0: So overrides, we have a few today. And just like today, they pay above and beyond any trip pay. So any leg pay or or rig pay, it's going to pay on top. And that's the key that we have when we get into some of the reassignment pay rules because it's based on overrides like LCO or LRO or some of the other ones that pay over and above. So you're always gonna get paid more. And the other key factor of them is they always stack. So if you have a night flight that's an ETOPS flight, those two combine. If you have a night flight that's an ETOPS flight that's a reassignment, that those three combine. So there's really no limit. The way they're designed, there are some that are exclusive of each other, like it only applies to reserve, and another rig doesn't apply to reserve. So you'll never have conflicting uh, overrides. So in all cases, they stack.
1: That leads us to leg like, change override.
0: All right. And that's probably not something we want to dig too deep into on this podcast. We have the video that we have out on it. And I think that's really good resource for our pilots to review. The very quick high level point to it is any changes to your schedule, 50% override to any changes, unless they're very limited things like a deadhead demote or a divert or flag stop. We have some exclusions in there. 50% change if it's inside the footprint and a hundred percent change if it's outside the footprint, always on top of the trip pay.
1: And what about if a reserve is assigned?
0: Right. So once a reserve is assigned a duty period, that becomes his assignment that they base LCO on. So it's part of our attempt to get reserve pay to be much more in line with line pay.
1: So let's go ahead and walk through the following rigs. Let's start with GTO.
0: GTO, a pilot will be paid 100th of a TFP for each minute of actual ground time, more than 150 minutes. So two and a half hours, actual ground time. If you use trip trade Giveaway and you create this block of time off, they won't pay that. But if they do it to you in execution, a 0.1 per minute.
1: What about LRO?
0: So LRO is sort of the capture, is the correction factor for LCO. So LCO applies to a change in your trip. LRO is for the guy that didn't get reassigned, but because the company's operation is delayed for hours and hours, he'll get that. And that's one TFP if you block in more than 120 minutes past your originally scheduled block-in time.
1: And that's late return override. That's
0: late return override, yes.
1: And what about reserve release override, RRO?
0: RRO the last one we actually added just at the end of negotiations. And all legs that block in past the end of the last scheduled wrap of the reserve block if you're not already getting LCO or LRO, then you'll be paid the 50% override.
1: Then let's also talk about long-duty override or LDO.
0: LDO, like I said, long-duty override. This was in response to some of the other carriers have an increased delta in particular has an increase at the 10-hour point. We were able to negotiate one TFP extra for any executed duty period uh, later than 12 hours.
1: Let's also talk about night override.
0: So night override actually replaces red eye override, which we have today, and it's more limited in scope. We've expanded it now to cover from 0100 to 0500 pairing domicile time. It's a 3% override, and it's on any flights that are scheduled or operate. So it's both. And you can imagine with the flying that we do, some of our really late PMs can actually be scheduled past 1 a.m., and some of our really early morning originators can start prior to 5 a.m. Those will get paid automatically. And then, of course, if anything runs late, those will all get night override. And it's worth mentioning that this is the one override that does pay even if you're deadheading.
1: Were there any changes to ETOPS, non-domestic, and SAQ overrides?
0: No, those all stay the same. 5% for ETOPS and SAQ and 3% for non-domestic international.
1: What is scheduled subservice?
0: So that's a charter flight that's embedded in the lines. And currently we pay that as a premium. But surprise, surprise, it often gets absorbed by the rigs today because of the way our system works. If you can imagine you're on a straight paying trip and then there's one leg that's premium, so that usually gets absorbed. So now scheduled subservice pays 50% override on that leg.
1: And let's talk about holiday
0: override. Holiday overrides a change. Right now we have holiday pay and it pays premium on Christmas, Thanksgiving, and New Year's. We've added four new holidays to that list on date of ratification. And then in 2026, we're going to add Labor Day. And in 2027, we're going to add Memorial Day. That'll make it a total of nine, which will match the industry lead at Delta there. And instead of being a premium pay, the company has agreed to pay that as an override. Very often, you know, Christmas, you're out flying and that's a very reduced schedule. So great, you're getting premium on that day, but you're not doing any flying. Guess what? Rigs apply. You don't get any real extra pay. What we're doing now is a 6.5 override for any duties performed on all of those holidays.
1: And you did mention the holidays that are being added in 26 and 27. What were the four that were added on date of ratification?
0: On date of ratification, we're adding Easter Sunday, Independence Day, Christmas Eve, and New Year's Eve will be covered in 2020. Okay. What about GDOs? GDOs are your golden days off. Right now, if you encroach on it, they pay you an additional 6-5. We've recategorized it as an override. It functionally is an override today, so it just naturally falls into that now. So it's a golden day off override, 6-5 if they encroach.
1: Online scheduled pay.
0: Online scheduled pay replaces daily reassignment pay. That's what we call it today. And that's how they pay you with move-ups and premiums and late arrivals. All that goes away under the LCO, override, LRO, LDO, RRO, override concepts. So this basically just says that you're always going to get guaranteed what you were assigned or what you flew. That's basically what the language says in a lot more words.
1: Let's now talk a little bit about reserve pay.
0: So two components there. We have unassigned reserves and assigned reserves. We touched a little bit about assigned reserves. Once you get assigned, what they give you is your original pairing. And then any changes that they make to it, you will receive LCO or RRO or any of the other overrides that we talked about, plus the unique reserve turn override, RRO. So that's on the executed side or the assigned side. Unassigned reserve, we now have a few additional guarantees for unused reserves. Currently, it's six for unused wrap. That stays the same for a vanilla wrap. The company has the ability to assign early wraps. Places in Denver, Baltimore, I think it might be Atlanta, where they have the wraps because the early morning originators are so early, they need a wrap that starts even earlier than 259 Central. So we have 0230 to 0259, pays six and a half, even if unused. And then we have red eye wraps, which is uh, an unassigned wrap that crosses the 0200 domicile time, and those pay seven if unused.
1: Were there any changes to reserve sick pay?
0: No, not really. Uh, We just codified the current practice. The simple version of it is if you're unassigned, they're going to pull you for the wrap. If you are assigned, they're going to pull you for the trip. The one carve out is if you call in sick at the time of notification. So if they call you up and say, hey, man, we got a trip for you. No, I can't do it because I'm sick. They will pull you with no pay. That's the current policy. And we just codified that.
1: So now let's talk a little bit about training pay. I know we had a little bit more education on this, but specifically, the pay that's associated.
0: Yeah. Lexi Taylor did a really good job of talking about that on the training podcast, but just a quick review. We have long and short training types now. So if it's less than seven days, it's a short. Anything that's short is going to get paid six and a half TFP per day plus training pay. If you travel only, you get guaranteed six, five. So a guy coming from Chicago, you're not going to travel and train for three days and then travel home probably on the same day. You're going to have one day that's travel only. You'd get six, five for that. You'd get six, five for the TGS, six, five for the MO. And then on the last day, when you do your LOE in the A period, you finish up in the morning, you get six, five for that. And then you get the training deadhead pay that's on the chart in this section. So that's just a fixed amount. doesn't matter where you're traveling from or two. So that's a short, We talk about with the bid process for CQ and for ETOPS initial, you'll bid that before the lines come out and then any conflicts, they will pull no pay. And then you'll have an opportunity to make it up using uh, open time priority, or you can keep the time off as a quality of life pull. That's up to the pilot. If it's assigned flying, it's a lot like today where they do a, a day for day comparison and you get paid the higher of what they pull or six, five a day plus travel. It's usually pretty close actually. That's all the short. On the long, Captain Upgrade pays six per day. That's up from five a day. And for those that haven't heard, that's sort of the trade off we did make with the Lance Captain Sunset. You know, we're counting on that to be about $6,000 per upgrade pilot for all upgrades going forward, all the time, versus the 90 or so Lances that we have at any given time right now. So that's Captain Upgrade. Initial. Continues to do the line guarantee proration, although we've managed to carve out that LX pays as a line pilot, so they'll get full pay on the trip. Currently, they just get the prorated per diem, so they're flying three days for basically 3.8 a day. That's a nice change. And then check pilot training does pay six and a half for initial check pilot training. And then anything else that isn't listed will pay five for a long.
1: So let's talk about training travel and how that pays.
0: Well, like I said, it pays over and above- Your daily pay of six, five, typically for the CQ training, that's what most of our guys are going to care about. And then if you travel only, it pays six, five guarantee for the day. The pay is calculated based on the average nonstop flights that's in the chart. There were some upward movement, particularly I think in uh, Houston and I want to say uh, Denver added some extra TFP. Actually, most TFP rates have fallen on most of these pairings. In reality, but we've maintained current book. If you remember when we did this back in 16, the company was really padding the schedule quite a bit. So there was a lot of extra 10 minute fluff built in. They've taken that out of the schedule. So if we had gone with the actual flying, these numbers would have actually been smaller. Uh, Fortunately, we just maintained current book, which is a little bit of an inflated number. So, regardless of what training the company provides for you, or if you travel to Dallas on your own, you jump seat in on your own or drive, you're going to get paid this TFP based on your domicile.
1: Okay, let's talk about ground transportation. That's always been a little bit of an issue for our pilots.
0: It is. It's important here to point out two different kinds of ground transportation. There's ground transportation that's here in this part of the contract that talks about getting uh, shuttle service over to Boeing Field to pick up an airplane to ferry it back or something like that. That's ground transportation here. There are other provisions that we've agreed to specifically in 2020 for early call-outs or short notice call-outs for reserve or co-terminal flying that it talks about ground transportation reimbursement. That's different. So when you're reading this, this is the traditional ground transportation that that the company has done in the past. Don't confuse that with getting an Uber Black to go to a co-terminal. You're not going to get paid for those Uber Black. That's just a reimbursement of the travel. This is when the company provides it. So this is where they schedule it typically for you. And there isn't really any change to how it is, but it was just worth pointing out the difference between that and the reimbursement process.
1: What about the provisions on double deadheads?
0: Yeah. So that, I guess, is the one change in this section. We do call out specifically pilots who elect to take ground transportation in lieu of a double deadhead will be ineligible for ground transportation pay in this section we're talking about. But we'll be paid the scheduled value of original deadheads, including pay multiple and overrides. What is that? That's the I'm in San Jose and I got to get back to Oakland. And today, what they'll do is they'll fly you down to Burbank and then back up to Oakland. You get back four or five hours later and, and you get your three and a half TFP for that round trip. Everybody agrees that's a waste. Why sit on the back of the airplane deadhead? It's a pain. They could potentially sell that seat. So we agreed that the pilot can request and be granted the right to go double deadhead, waive that. They'll keep the pay and then they'll just go over to Oakland, but they won't get paid the ground pay for it because you're getting paid the, the flight pay. So that's what that exception means.
1: Any changes to vacation pay?
0: Nope. No real changes here. A lot of changes in how we use vacation, but the pay remains the same.
1: So talk about fatigue pay. What were the changes there?
0: All right. So when it comes to fatigue pay, I think uh, we finally fixed a lot of the problems that we've had in our current contract. You know, today when a pilot calls in fatigue, uh, there could be a pay penalty. So what we've done in the TA is, I'll read it to you basically, when a pilot is unable to complete some portion of a pairing due to fatigue, the original pay will be guaranteed, including pay multiples. So that's a big part of it. Uh, today, if you're on a premium trip, they only guarantee you for the straight value. So this is a good improvement. And then it goes on to say that if the fatigue recovery plan, whatever you, uh, the pilot and, the, and scheduling agree to will be the new original, and that'll be what they base uh, any additional reassignments on for leg change override.
1: The last section that's in here is on pay audits. Talk about that a little bit.
0: You know, we did pursue pay penalties if audits are incorrectly done or if they're late. We weren't able to achieve that. But what I can say about it is under the new LCO structure with the removal of daily reassignment pay, moving to an online schedule pay paradigm, the team really does believe that it's going to simplify the pay structure, make our pay much more understandable, much easier to compute. And it really is our belief that it's going to reduce the number of pay errors and the need for us to track it and the number of inconsistencies and errors that we've seen as often as we have since 2015.
1: And most of those overrides were put together with that intent, correct?
0: Yeah, the whole design of the pay structure was not only to reward our pilots for the extra work that they do, but also to make it simpler and more easy to understand and to implement. Thanks for listening. For more information, check out the Contract 2020 TA Education page on SWAPA.org.